Welcome to the Perth Entrepreneur Podcast with me, Neil Gibb, where each week we use the stories and journeys of other successful business owners to motivate, inspire, and empower you to become the next breed of successful entrepreneurs. This week on the show, we've got Nathaniel Bibby from Bibby Consulting. Nathaniel, welcome. Thank you for having me. No problem, mate. Now, if anybody is looking to start or scale a business and they're wondering on how to get themselves out there, how to get themselves more recognized, and this is definitely a podcast that you should be listening to. Some of Nathan's titles or accolades are generating over $400 million in sales using LinkedIn, and we think that's gone up already, don't we? <laughs> Close it to 500 million? Uh, yeah, half a, almost half a billion now. Incredible. Uh, LinkedIn expert, 2019. Best use of LinkedIn social media, uh, best use of LinkedIn in the social media marketing awards, and also number one in Asia Pacific LinkedIn expert. <laughs> Incredible, mate. Thanks very much. Uh, what how, a kind uh, intro. <laughs> Still very weird hearing those things. <laughs> well, how did it all come about? Like, how, how have you ended up with these titles? Uh, just literally was very hungry and um, was desperate for sales and revenue at one point. And uh, it's interesting, like as I managed to resolve my financial issues and my stresses, I didn't really lose the hunger and I just, I'm really addicted to it at the moment. Yeah. So it all started with sorting your own problems out first and then other people asked you to solve theirs too. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. yeah. You learn so much faster when you're in a place of desperation, when you really need to get an outcome, you learn very fast. You certainly yeah. do. What, what I didn't add on that one as well, generating all that uh, revenue on LinkedIn, there was zero ad spend. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that might change in the future if LinkedIn advertising gets any better. But we did all of that thanks to Link LinkedIn's organic reach. Wow, it's yeah. insane! It's mm. insane. And there was other people in them same categories that were spending millions of dollars. You mean for the awards? Yeah. Uh, oh, look, <laughs> it was so funny at the social media marketing awards, and I'm you know always confident. I had my mum with me. I was like, oh, I'm going to crush this mum. Inside, I was like, there's <laughs> no way I'm going to win. I'm against these agencies that have spent millions of dollars on their campaigns, international campaigns, and I spent zero dollars. You know, so I'm lucky to be there. Incredible. And and they said my name. I was like, oh, holy shit! I I, I am amazed. And the guess, sorry, the judges were like from Spotify, from Snapchat, from Facebook, from one guy from LinkedIn. Um, and so I, I would assume that they took the, the fact that I spent no money into consideration. Uh, but it just goes to show what you can achieve uh, with the with the platform without spending any money, which you can't really do on uh, the likes of Facebook and the other channels anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's insane what you've done there, mate, to be honest. Do you know what I love about it as well? You, the fact you took your mum there. And yeah. I've seen your mum at some of your other events too, so I love that. It's brilliant. I, um, I was on my way to a house and something came on the radio about Mother's Day. And it was that, that day. Yeah. And I thought, oh, shit, I haven't got anything. <laughs> so when I get there, I said, Mum, happy Mother's Day. I'm taking you to the Social Media Marketing Awards. <laughs> <laughs> nice touch, nice touch. So... Bibby Consultants, the name of your business, and yes. how long has that been going for? Eight years. Eight years. And how did you set, what, what made you set Bibby Consultant up? It was because you had a business that you were trying to solve problems with, and Bibby Consulting came from that, or well, was it set up? I was in a sales role. I was working for a friend of mine, and we grew his business ex extremely quickly, um, and then attempted to do a listing on a stock market. And, you know, that it gets complicated when you start doing things like that. And to, to cut a long story short, the company went into real financial problems real quickly. Um, I hadn't been paid in three months, was the number one salesperson in the country. You know, so I was normally like on real good commissions, had a pretty good lifestyle, um, hadn't been paid in three months. So 
the the guy who was a friend of mine that I worked for, he got fired by the ASX listed directors for breach of confidentiality and so nice. So they get on the, the conference um, call with every single office in Australia and New Zealand, and they say, we, you know, we've we've got rid of the CEO, and I just closed my book. I was like, I quit. I'm out of here. And walks out. I thought, well, they're not paying me anyway. Yeah. Get home. There's an eviction notice on my front door, and that night my electricity had been cut off as well. And so, like, I'm sitting there going, like, how can all this shit happen in one day? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was a gift. It was a massive gift from the universe to give me enough reasons to have no other choice to start a business. Yeah. Because I just was like, everything was too comfortable for me to do it anyway, other way, any other way. And it, I think it's Tony Robbins that says, life happens for you, not to you. He's spot on there. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that, well, I mean, look, if, if, if you believe that, then it's true. And if you don't believe that, then that's true as well. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get, so how did you get all this sales experience? So were you born in Perth? I was born in the UK. You are born in the UK and you moved to Perth when you were... I was 10 when I arrived in Perth. 10. Yeah. And then from the age of 10 to starting Bibby Consulting, how did you get all this sales experience? Okay, so my dad is an entrepreneur. So right. we, um, I learned a lot from watching him about what to do. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about what not to do. Because he was catching 80 flights a year entertaining clients. And what he would do is he'd take them out to nice restaurants, a nice, buy them a nice champagne, take them out drinking, and they would like him. Trust him, they would choose him as financial advisor. Yes, he was very good at what he did, what he did, but I thought, you know, there must be a better way. I went to boarding school at 10. Me and my sister didn't see my dad as much as we'd like to. Mm -hmm. So a bit more of our mum, which is great. Um, but um, as a kid, like that has a big impact on you. And so I'm watching him thinking, there must be a better way to do business, you know. And I studied marketing and uh, like marketing degrees nowadays are so far behind the times that you're like graduating with – 10 years behind because it takes five years to create the content. You're in uni for five years, you're 10 years behind. And the market's changed. It's pretty irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. I, I was ordering stuff online when I was at university and I didn't do one unit on how to market online. That's how crazy it is. <laughs> and so it was always marketing graduates and there's no marketing jobs. And uh, they all end up in sales. And what do you learn in sales is you're sitting in an empty sales office and no one wants to give you any leads because you've got no experience. And so you learn very quickly that you, if you really want to be successful, you've got to learn how to create your own leads. And so I'm just like spent all my time and attention focusing on how to get um, leads from the internet. And the biggest thing that I've learned along the way is it just it's what works today is not going to work tomorrow. Yeah, you know, just constantly evolving. Yeah, because we didn't have social media back then. Yeah, it was SEO. You know, with Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you started with Google. And then worked into LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, the way, the way that I was getting a lot of leads on Google when I started my career, if I did that today, I'd get blacklisted. <laughs> you know, so like you've got to also consider, if you've got enough experience, you will, will consider the fact that um, unless you align your objectives with the platform, eventually whatever hack you have won't work. Right. Mm. Interesting, interesting. So... What? How long ago did you get into LinkedIn and then realize that that's got some enormous potential for you to leverage it and then grow the business to what you've grown it to now? Um, it was it was actually at the start of that sales role in Melbourne because I'd um, come back from Asia where I was involved in real estate specifically. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you'd been a bit different to yourself, we're selling resort villas in Thailand. But um, <laughs> uh, I asked my employer, I said, what is the best ideal type of client for online marketing? 
And he, and like he had an answer. He said, plastic surgeons. He goes, they spend a lot of money. They always need new clients. And they don't know much about marketing. And so I was like, perfect. Made a list of all the plastic surgeons in Melbourne. I was like, this is my target. I'm going to go after them. Go knock on all their doors. And I was introduced to something called a practice manager. So a practice manager sits at the front of the um, clinic and stops people like me from speaking to the surgeons, right? <laughs> That's their job. <laughs> and so it didn't work. So I tried calling them. That didn't work. And then I was like, oh, this what's that thing LinkedIn that I just signed up for recently? And I had a picture of me like I was out at a nightclub or a bar or something and I uh, hadn't updated my profile or anything like profile that. profile picture. I thought it was like a Facebook, you know? Yeah. And so I contacted 10 surgeons, had six responses, had four uh, phone call appointments, and I made one sale. All right. So you contacted them through LinkedIn, direct yeah. messaging. Yeah. Right. And keep in mind, surgeons are not on the computer all day. Yeah. You know, so I thought, here's interesting. And then we get to the sales um, uh, meeting at the end of the month, and everyone's going, oh, what sales have you made? And everyone's like, oh, I made 10 sales. They were $500 each. So I made 20 sales. Mine were two grand each or whatever. I'm like, I, made, I only made one sale. It was $22,000. Wow. Because it's an ideal client, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, okay. So next next month, I'll send out like twice as many messages. I got twice as many sales. And then before long, my boss is like, do you want an assistant to do the messages for you? And you go do the appointments. I was like, yeah. So I was doing 10 appointments a day. And so when I started my business, I thought, well, if I can delegate it to an assistant, why why can't businesses delegate it to me? So I created a business, a business model that didn't exist, like LinkedIn marketing, um, LinkedIn lead generation did not exist in Australia. Right. There was two companies doing it in America at the time, um, and I contacted them. But, um, geez, man, they were selling, like, new connections. Like, they were, we will send a 1,000 connection requests for you, and it's like $5,000 a month. I was like, I'm actually getting people leads. So ju just to connect with them, just so they mm. accept your connection, nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Wow, $5,000. Yeah, because you could <laughs> export their email address back then. Right. You know? Well, you can anyone can just click through and request anybody they want, can they now? Yeah, oh, you, yeah. you could, could back then as well. Yeah, it's amazing because it's about being targeted, right? Like um, businesses don't get value out of having lots of connections; they get value out of having relationships with the key decision makers in the right companies. Right. You know. So, since you've set up Bibi Consulting, what what are some of the clients you've worked with? Uh, okay, so. I'm assuming you're looking for the household names here. So <laughs> think. Um, we've worked with Apple, um, yep. Channel 7, the Fremantle Dockers, Western Union, Harvey Norman, Westpac, BC Financial Group, yep. the, the biggest hedge fund in the world, Capital Markets, uh, Brian Tracy, Grant Cardone. Um, Some big, big companies there. Yeah. And how did they find you or did you find them? I found them. You found them. So <laughs> this is just a classic example. If you want it, you just have to go out there and get it. Don't yeah, you? exactly. Like, yeah. So when I wanted, um, I was actually, I'll tell you a client story. There was a client of mine. I said, if you could have like a wishboard and you could have any client in the world, who would you want? And he goes, Expedia. I'd love Expedia. I was like, okay, I want to like see what I can pull off here. And so I contact like everyone in the marketing department at Expedia. Now, like <laughs> you would, I, I would assume like, that there would be a lot of people in the marketing department at Expedia, but there was a lot of people. Like there, I, we had to contact 500 people before we got a response. Really? But what happened was they were all around the water cooler going on. Oh, this bloody guy keeps messaging me on LinkedIn. Let's respond to him. They go in, get to the meeting, and made the sale. They're like, I can't believe it. You got us Expedia because we just, we just went out to the market and just kept hammering them until, I mean, I say hammering them, it sounds like we're giving them calls to action. We're actually contacting them, offering to add value, which is a bit different. Right, and this is something I do want to touch on, adding value, because mm. I've been to a few of your presentations that you've done in the city, and they are amazing. The, the amount of value and content you deliver is incredible. Thank you. And where, does, where do you 
I'm trying to work out with my own business where is enough value and then where do you stop and then start to charge for your time and services and products? Well, when you um, are delivering value, you'll find that people will receive a certain amount of that value. If you put a price on it and they pay it, they'll receive more of that value. See, we did an event last night and you know, I'll be completely transparent with, with everyone. I've only been in Perth a year, so I, all of my events in Perth have been free. <laughs> when I go to Melbourne and Sydney, they're not free because um, I've got all the audience here and you know, I'm getting to know them. So last night, I put a price tag on the event. Yep. It was 30 bucks or something, 35 bucks, And we had exactly the same numbers as we do when it's free. So less people registered, but they all came. Right. But I, what's happened is the people that did come, they got more value because they invested it in it. Right. They paid more attention. So you think if it's got a monetary figure attached to it, even if it's just minimal, like $30, they feel like they get more value? Or did you yeah. deliver more value? No, um, they would have felt like they got more value. Yeah. Right. Um, so like, put it this way, right? If you go to see a speaker and it's free, like, can you feel hungry halfway through? You can sneak out the back. If you spent $10,000 to be there, you're not sticking out of the back. You're <laughs> taking notes. You're paying attention. True. Very true. So uh, on LinkedIn, you are all over LinkedIn. Every time I go on my Facebook feed, you're on there. So for anybody that's starting up uh, a business or looking to scale a business, how much is the right amount of content to produce and how much is too much if there's such a thing? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the, the algorithm on LinkedIn does work on relevancy, not recency. So it's not as important as the value you provide right. and and actually targeting on, on a niche, focusing on a niche. Yeah. Because in the old school mentality of marketing, people, if they weren't like getting enough business, they would add on services or add on dem demographics. And the, that you've got to do the opposite now. So if you're a financial advisor, um, instead of saying, we'll start doing legal advice, we'll start doing accounting as well, you're better off going, okay, we're struggling for business. Let's stop doing everything except for self-managed super funds for dentists. Right. Then you crush it. Just niche down on one specific target. Niching is everything. Right. People at the start, you just say, it's LinkedIn. No one else does LinkedIn marketing. Are you sure that's going to be enough? That's not going to work. Yeah. And, you know, it's the only reason why somebody's having a conference in Sydney, like Apple, for example, they're like round the table having a conversation and they're like, oh, let's get a speaker from LinkedIn. Google, I'm all over it because that's my niche. Pops up. And so they call me. They're not going to call me if I do LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Google, everything. Yeah. You know? So you just niche down to LinkedIn, made it work, and yeah. now you're known as Mr. LinkedIn really, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I hate being pigeonholed, but yeah, that's what's happened. Yeah. 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 So with, with um, LinkedIn, say for instance, I, I've been creating posts on LinkedIn, but they're not getting the traction that I want. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm using You're hashtags, well. I'm You're using well. different things. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to be growing. And I think that's just the, the nature of being impatient, isn't it? I'm expecting to get massive results instantly. Um, what sort it is, of... It is. It's to do with patience. It, it, like it very much is. Because if you, what this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where most people quit. And so if you keep going, you'll find your breakthrough and there'll be less competition. Because or, or they, if they don't quit, they start trying something else. And they, then they get impatient with that. And they try something else. And they just get in this cycle of never actually sticking at anything. And with social media, it does take patience. You need to have 
patients and you also need to try and be unselfish as well and actually just go, do you know what? I'm helping a few people. That's good. Um, because as soon as you start like trying to grab something out of it and not sure whether you're all getting enough out of it, you're, you'll find that people will see that in your content. Mm. Mm. I think what you touched on there as well, if I look, I get a lot of traction through Facebook and I look at my Facebook page. It's been active for probably 12, 13 years where LinkedIn have probably only been using it probably they're probably for 12 months really so yeah when i look at the traction i get there and the traction in linkedin then if i just be consistent keep delivering it should build up slowly yeah and and just i mean the people that if there are people watching and there are people liking like those are the people that will probably be able to give you better advice than me so Mm. it's like what did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? What are they actually saying in the comments? You know, you might find that like there's, there's topics which are really conversational when you're in your industry. Yeah. Um, and so that's by trialing different pieces of content. Um, I think the answer is really with those guys because it's so like I, I will when I go to Melbourne sometimes I will find like people that followed me from like I don't know when did I start posting content? Let's say six years ago. And were really active and commenting on my stuff back then. Yeah. And they're not necessarily like all active now. Some of them are. But I'll like call one of them up and say, hey, I'm in town. Let's go for lunch. And they're just like blown away. They're like, I can't believe that you want to like, you know, catch up with me, you know. But I was like, look, you followed me like right at the start. What did you like about it? Why did you follow me? Why did you stop? For, like, why did you stop commenting? Like, what what, are you, what do you think about what I'm doing now? And that feedback is like, it's everything. Yeah. It's, you know, most people don't do that at all. So positive and negative feedback is good to use, isn't it? At least you know what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Yeah, and like I said, you just got to vet it. Like all of it's got to be vetted. You got to be like, how much you got to think yourself. How much does this person? How much information does this person have? Mm. Are there any biases there? Like, and ask them just more information. So when somebody gives me some negative feedback, like I, I try to like look at it objectively and think, okay, what are they actually saying? I'll try and find out like why they said that. What what can I learn from it? And I get a lot of positive negative feedback. Like I got got some um, from my last event like it was it was really helpful like um, this person said oh, this is great this did great this did great are you ready for some constructive feedback and I was like oh shit bring it <laughs> <You know>? on <laughs> and they said look the content's great but I think that people would pay more attention if you smiled more really yeah. simple as that yeah and I and I thought fuck that's really good advice and I made an effort to do that last night my talk did it feel awkward or did it feel natural I just looked like she was in the room and I just looked at her face and I just lit up like a speaker <laughs> and gave everyone a big grin. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we just go back to niching down as well in LinkedIn? Because mm. um, a, a tip that you gave me is you can say, for instance, we're in real estate and we're looking for investors. So we can physically search for investors in a certain area and then target them with certain content. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So investors who are actively seeking opportunities will generally mention that they're an investor on their LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. So you can use that as a keyword search. If they're, if it's like they're a, they consider investment to be like their career, their profession, they're a full-time investor, it'll be in their headline. Yeah. You know? And so with those people, like you can find them in certain areas and you can contact them, but you just got to remember like they're, if they're a full-time investor, they're going to have a very like set for, uh, structured system for vetting out the rubbish and yeah. finding the good stuff because yeah. like, they want the good stuff. It's actually quite hard to find. Yeah. 
you know, so you just got to be ready to to deal with that. And to be honest, like when I I've done some I've done some capital raising for other businesses before, and um, I just learned by stuffing. Like I go there and they're like, and they're like, mate, like what the hell's this? Like, and I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. Can you give me some feedback? And they just went through it, gave me all these notes, and like helped me with it. Yeah, you know. So you learn by experience, I think. Um, but niching down on the target audience, like you're talking about, is one thing. Like you find them right, but then if they come to your profile and your profile outlines that you deal with them specifically, then that's got a really huge impact. Yeah. And when you connect with them people as well, you write them a little message to say, hey, I, this is what I do. I think we should connect. Is that is that how it works or is it kind of <laughs> like that? Um, so the key is to uh, not tell them what you do. Not to tell them what you do. Yeah. Right. How does that work? So it's counterintuitive because if, like, if you – call someone for example the first thing you have to tell them is who you are and why you're calling them what you do right but on linkedin they have this freedom to be able to click on your name so if you write a message to them and say uh hey i've had a look at your profile i found it very interesting want to find out more about you they're like uh who are you click on your name but the fact that they've clicked it means they've asked for the information therefore they're they're going to care about what they find at the end of it whereas if you message them and tell them what you do they don't care first you know yeah, 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 I'm with you. Um, and look, people will connect, accept your connection request, but it's because, like, and not everyone will, but it, but people will because people think that if they have a bigger network, then you know they're going to do better in business or they're going to appear more popular. Um, so a lot of people just sit, hit their impress, accept, 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 accept. Um, but sometimes the high value prospects don't do that, and those those are the ones that you really want to show interest in. Yeah, yeah. So is LinkedIn just business to business or is there business to consumer too? It's it's business. Well, look, it's relationships. So like the targeting features on LinkedIn lend themselves to business to business because you are you can go, okay, what industry are they in? What job title do they have? But there's no reason why you can't sell Amiga watches to financial advisors in Melbourne. Like if, you know, if that's, that, that could be the criteria that you use to find them. Yeah. Um, in which case B2C works. Awesome. So right now, how how big is BB Consulting? Because it sounds like you got heaps going on. So yeah, look, it's much bigger on social media than it is in real life. Right. <laughs> We're a small business, but I like to think of ourselves like a both boutique business. Yeah. Um, we are a quarter of the size we were eleven months into the business. Right. In terms of people, yeah. Um, we're more in terms of revenue which I'm really excited about. We just broke that record in January. So less overheads, more oh, overhead, uh, less, less overheads, overheads yeah. more profits. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. And that just mm. adds the process of being a business owner. You've learned how to trim the overheads down, but increase the revenue. Well, it's been, yeah, it's been something I've been working on for the last five, six years. Yeah. Ever since I uh, went through this challenge in the first year of growing too fast, I've been just trying to work out how I can achieve the same results with less people and less overheads. And we've finally done it, but it wasn't easy. Like yeah. It took a long time. Yeah. I think there'd be a lot of people listening to this now that would want to know how you make more with less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, start, it really starts by adding more value. Like That's where it starts. There's a guy called Jack DeLosa. He's the CEO of a, um, the biggest entrepreneurial training company in Australia, The Entourage. Mm-hmm. And he did a boardroom event where a bunch of entrepreneurs could come and he would give some advice. And, and there was about 15 of us there. And I just, I just like, first as soon as he asked if anyone's got any questions, I just stopped and said, look, Jack, 
I don't understand what's going on. We deliver results consistently. You won't find one client I've worked with that won't tell you that I exceed expectations on lead generation. But they, the clients are leaving after nine months. It's a six months minimum. They're leaving after nine months. What, what's going on? I've got a retention problem. You know? Yeah. I want them to stay for at least 18 months. So how do you retain them? Yeah. And he asked me a few questions. He said, well, one of the questions he said was, uh, how long have you been in business? I was like four years at the time. He said, uh, how much do you charge? I said, two grand a month. He said, what did you charge at the start? I said, two grand a month. He says, are you better at what you do? I said, yeah. He goes, double your prices. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he didn't explain any more. And I just trusted him and I did it. And what I found was we were able to deliver the expectations that the client had because we were earning enough money to do so. Right. The clients had a little bit higher expectations than we were delivering. And we weren't meeting that expectation because we weren't charging enough. Right. Hmm. Cool. So I'll just come back down to KPIs and tracking the actual progress of what you're delivering. I think that like you can value, you can add value to your service and, but it only becomes more valuable if you charge more. And so sometimes a way to find out how to add more value is just to start charging more and then you work it out. You'll work out how to add enough value because what I thought was valuable at the start of my business is not what I think is valuable to customers now. Like when I started, I thought it was all about the volume of leads. It's not. The clients want to understand what's happening at every stage of the process and they want to have a relationship with you. That relationship costs us as a business more money than it does actually doing the work. Like the time it takes to call the clients and like, you know, maintain those relationships is it's more important than the actual delivery of the leads. So you actually follow up with the leads on behalf of the client that no, you that uh, No, we don't, in. but like speaking to the client, yep. making sure they feel comfortable, that they know when the leads are coming, they know what to say when they call them, they know what we're doing behind the scenes. Because you think about it, we're like literally like um, taking control of their personal brand. So you can imagine how someone, how much someone would have to trust you to give you that. Yeah. And then for them to not be 100% clear on exactly what's happening makes them feel very nervous. So you've got to make sure you're speaking to them all the time. And it's your responsibility. So like you can't just say, oh, well, it was in page 27 of the contract. Did yeah. you read it? It's your responsibility to make sure they understand it. So it's like, yes, it's in the contract, but it's also in the phone call that you had when you onboarded them. It's also in the phone call that happens before the day that, the, you know, the thing happens. And um, and it's also about just showing caring enough to ask them, just going, well, is there anything else that you need from me to make it easier, you know? And is that a daily conversation or weekly, monthly? So um, the account managers that we have have to call three clients a day and they keep track of those phone calls of what they talked about. There's questions that they need to ask. Um, and then I just, you know, call clients generally about once a month. Uh, it's a lot more in the first month, but as soon as I know the strategy is working, I kind of um, hand it over to the account manager unless there's a real issue. Yeah, so the, the business is fully systemized. Everybody knows what they're doing. There's set yeah. tasks for everybody every day. Absolutely. Yeah. Set scripts to speak uh, to people. Yeah, there are, there are, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the only one that doesn't follow them is me. <laughs> <laughs> Lead by example. Yeah. So what, what have you learned then in your eight years in business with BB Consultant? What have you learned? Um, I've learned that um, business is all about people. It's all about relationships. Sorry, I don't know if you can sound like I'm peeing. <laughs> just, I'm just pouring the <laughs> water. <laughs> um, so so when I say that, like it's, it, it's about, first of all, having um, some empathy and kindness towards people that may not be as further, far along in their journey to, as you. 
they'll do a lot more for you than the people that are ahead of, of you in their journey. Like you, people think like networking with like politicians or like CEOs of big companies, like at the end of the day, they're not doing anything for you. It's the people that like are around you day to day that are going to be the ones supporting you and have got your back. But having said that, like if there's somebody that's achieved what you want to achieve and you can get in proximity with them, then you you will learn. And like if you can do that on scale, so you're at a point where like you're spending 25% of your time at your career around people that have achieved what you want to achieve, you're going to learn so much quicker. Like I always think that if you're going into a new career or want to start a business, you know somebody that's like done it at a scale that you want to do it. Like if you can afford it, go there and just say, look, I will work for you for free. I want to be a drive. I want to drive you to work in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever it is, because you just what they'll teach you. You can't learn from a textbook. You can't learn it from a university. And I've done that consistently throughout my career, and it's cost me a lot of money in personal development. I probably spent half a million dollars on personal development, and I'm not saying that to boast. Just like it's very important to me. Um, and then you know, podcast interviews like this, I've learned so much through that. You know, you think when I started it, I was like, yeah, I'll leverage attention. I'll, you know, do more business. It'll add value to my audience. Yep. I never thought about it. Like, you're going to learn heaps. Yeah. You know? I've learned heaps today, man. <laughs> so in regards to like the mentorship that you've you've spent money on, who, who are some of the mentors and coaches you've used? You mentioned Jack Delosa earlier. Who else, yeah. Who else have you used? Um, so the biggest one's been Tony Robbins. Yeah, he had a dramatic impact on my life the first time I got along to one of his conferences. In what way? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, I changed my values and my beliefs when I went to Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. uh, which I'd adopted from childhood about like money and success and all these things that were holding me back, relationships. And you know, Tony was in some ways was like a second father because I really like I just delved into his content and I, after I did all of his courses which by the way are very expensive like like I didn't have much money back then and um he's like selling and it unleashed the power within he's selling date with destiny it was date destiny or business mastery it was business business mastery sorry it's twelve thousand dollar course and he goes put your hand up if you're gonna go and I was like I can't afford twelve thousand dollars and then he, he asked an interesting question and he goes put your hand up if you can't afford it but you're going to find a way. And I was like, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they put a contract in my hand, right? And I said, look, the only way I'm going to sign this contract is, first of all, I don't have to pay anything for seven days. Second thing is I make enough money in the next seven days to pay for it. And the sales guy goes, yeah, right. And how did you do? How did you raise and 12 I, grand? I, I did. I don't know. I just, you know. Hustled. <laughs> yeah, it was just a must. And so, you know, I'm not sitting at the air at the end of the week and I made $12,000 and I'm like, oh. That's what I like about you. I'd you rather just, just keep you just, it in the bank. But. You just seem to just make it happen. If there's something to be done, and you just start, seem to find a way to make it happen, which is impressive. Yeah, there must be lots of times when it doesn't work, but, yeah, constantly, um, yeah, to, to um, put myself under pressure. I think I perform best that way. Under pressure. Mm. Yeah. So what happens when things don't go to plan? Obviously, you just take them take them learnings and just yeah. move on. Yeah, exactly. Like it's Being successful in business is a lot to do with your relationship with failure. You know, like people think failure is like, oh, I've failed at that. Like I, that was a mistake, you know. Like someone said to me yesterday, like, you know, they did an article and did really well. So they reworded it and posted it again as an article. And they, and they said, oh, I think that was a mistake because no one, you know, liked it and stuff. I think I should have done this instead. Yeah. And I was like, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not a mistake. You just learned what doesn't work. Yeah. Now you know exactly what works. That's positive. That's a really good step. It's a good way to look at it. But a lot of people make a mistake and then stop and it's just... 
Yeah. Yeah, if they can just use that mistake to fuel the fire and move fail forward. Faster. Yeah, fail faster. That's the way I look at it is like make the mistakes real quick, then you'll make the right decision quicker. Yeah. Mm. What are the mentors have you learned from then? Yeah, um, so Dr. John Demartini, I just got back from spending a weekend with him. Like it would it overwhelmed me what I learned from him in terms of like the um eternity of the universe and what is real and what is temporary and all this sort of stuff is absolutely phenomenal and it teaches you how to resolve resentment and like the things that people carry around their whole life which dictate all of their actions which you know he literally is going around the world like curing people of he's fantastic i've i've done kerwin ray stuff um who's been really um so like the ones that made the biggest impact have had to be Oh, Grant Cardone's great for sales. I've got to say, like he was—he's been phenomenal. Well, um, what's he like in real life? You've met him, haven't you? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It's, it's interesting because he is like a big shot and stuff, but he is like so attentive to everyone in the room. And I've seen him with his kids. He's an exceptional father. Yeah. He's a really good um, husband to his wife. That was what blew me away. It was when I went to interview him, and they're staying at you know house in Sydney. I guess it's an Airbnb. Like just watching their family interact, I'm like, wow, these guys are really like happy and they're really caring. Um, and I think that that's probably what enables him or gives him the strength to be such a strong character on social media because he's not, his glass is already full. He's not looking for reassurance for everyone else, you know? Yeah. How did you get that interview with Grant? Because I've heard the story. I think it's a, it's <laughs> a, cool, it's a cool story, isn't it? <laughs> uh, look, I, you know, I, found out that he was coming to Australia and he was doing a few podcast interviews. I I know the CEO of Success Resources. I've emailed him a few times to, about this. Um, I wasn't getting any responses. I was tagging him in all my posts, Grant Cardone in all my posts. And I ended up just like, I think, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? I'm trying every platform because it's a must for me. Like, it's a must. Grant Cardone was on my list. Like, I have to interview him. Yeah. You're like a dog yeah. with a bone, aren't you? you just yeah. <laughs> So, like, people wouldn't invest the time, you know, otherwise, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to go focus on something else. There's a, there's a lead to follow up. And so, um, do more research, do more research. Elena Cardone, she just started a YouTube channel, his wife. Yeah. It's got, like, 350,000 subscribers, which is a lot, but it's not a, 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 enough for her not to be – it's enough for her – sorry, it's it's not enough for her to be also doing as many interviews as Grant Cardone while she's in Australia with him, right? So I'm thinking, ah – you know, she'll have all this free time while he's here. And so I messaged her on Instagram because most celebrities have Instagram in their pocket. They don't have LinkedIn in their pocket, right? They delegate it. So her assistant writes back to me and says, Elena will do the interview, Sydney this time. And I was like, oh, I'm not in Sydney that time. However, I will go to Sydney on the basis that Grant will interview do an interview with me as well. And so you just imagine them sitting there at home, right? And Lena's <laughs> like, Grant, honey. <laughs> of course you're going to do it. <laughs> and then you're at the flight to Sydney to do the interview. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the flight that I had, uh, we'll get to the airport, it was cancelled. They had this long customer service queue and they're like, your next flight's not until 7pm. I'm like, I have to interview Grant Cardone, <laughs> you know, and they're like, we can get you to Adelaide. I'm like, what the hell would I want to go to Adelaide for? And they said, well, look, there's a flight leaving Adelaide five minutes after you get there. We can't connect you because it's an illegal connection because it's too short a time. But if you run to the gate, if you get there in time, you can get to Sydney. And you, you know, when, it's a, like, when it's a must and they're telling you that's the only chance you've gone, I'm like, okay, book the flight to Adelaide. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and I get, you know, I got there and everything. And, and to be honest, it's not one of my best interviews. Like the, the camera that was on me, wasn't on the, the videographer. I had to get on Airtask or on the way there, right? Right. 
uh, my microphone was not on, right? So in an interview, like if you're, if you're volume, like if you're somebody speaking louder than you and they got more, like it, you, you seem like you're, um, how do you say, like on a different footing than the, the person you're interviewing. And Grant Cardone is a very powerful character. So you've got to be a bit more animated when you're with him. Yeah. And so, like, we had to do a lot of audio editing to, to kind of level that out. So it's not my best interviewing, but it, I did it. And now, I, you know, when I ask Tony Robbins or ask the next person and they're like, oh, well, who have you interviewed? And I'm like, well, you know, Greg, I don't know. <laughs> um, it, it's a really important milestone. Yeah. So, you know, afterwards, like I had no flight back afterwards or anything. Like it was all last minute. I worked to book, to book it all the day before. And the videographer says to me, he goes, you all right, man? Do you, do you need to live somewhere? I was like. Can you drop me off at the pub? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You're so persistent. I love it. It's brilliant. So I'm guessing Tony Robbins is on your on your list of interview as well next time he's yeah, here. Yeah, it's interesting. He is. Um, last time he was in town for David Destiny, he wasn't very well. Like the last couple of days, he like um, had some problems with mercury poisoning and mm. was in hospital. And like he's he's done so much more in my life that I will only do it like if it's convenient for him because I really don't want to. Um, you know, that's, it's not about me. Like, I respect him so much that if I saw him in a restaurant and he's with his family, I wouldn't even say hello because I just think that, I, re- you know, I want him to enjoy his free time. So I'd love to interview him, and I'm sure I will one day. I, I haven't mentioned this, but I actually spent the last six years volunteering at his events. So when I was at David Destiny last year, I wasn't there in the, the crowd. Like, I've done that event twice. I'm there volunteering as a microphone runner. I run the microphones for him, you know? Because I love being in the environment and helping other people. Just proximity is power as well. You exactly. Definitely, yeah. you probably never see that um, day with destiny enough, can you? Yeah, and just you, you watch people when they arrive, like 5,000 people, like sort of cortisol running through their heads. Oh, my God, my flight was delayed, blah, blah, blah. And then they're leaving and they're like dancing and they're on fire. It's awesome. Pumped. <laughs> Pumped. So what, what's a day in the life look, day in the life look <laughs> like for you? Have, you? have you got some kind of routine you've got? No, I don't. I, it's an area that I haven't mastered yet. Like I'm, um, I start kind of like will either be – Working like around the clock, in which case, like it's it's not a good balance. Like I, I'm, uh, to, I've balanced my life, but I haven't got it to a level where it's like on a daily basis. Like every day is balanced. Yeah, and I want to, but um, so like I, for example, look, I uh, sort of got to a level where I was almost burned out in Melbourne ten days ago, and so then I planned to take Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, went to Bondi with my girlfriend. We like went sailing, like we had the best time and it's exactly what I needed. But like I was, you, you sort of respond to the way your body's telling you, like your body's like, if you're getting sick, your body's telling you, you need some rest. Like. Yeah. And so uh, I always do exercise in the morning before I start work. Like I get out of the house, it's really important. Um, and then I get started and in the evenings, my brain is like in its element. So. Again, my like girlfriend girlfriend hates this, but my best planning and yeah, my best um, ideas always come at night time. Oh, so you're one of the night people. Yes. Yeah, I'm a morning person. And my, my best hours are between like five and nine in the morning. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. get along with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what sort of hobbies do you have then? What, what keeps you entertained when you do, when you do have downtime? Oh, right. Um, well, look, I love um, being out, outdoors. I love the ocean. I love um, being around nature. I really like, I'm passionate about spending time with all, all members of my family. Like my grandparents love hanging out with them. Yeah. Um, because they don't give a shit about what I do at work, you know, and it's really quite grounding just to bring you back to earth and realize that, you know, 
what's happening on LinkedIn is not... Yeah, you know, they, the, don't, they don't care. <laughs> it's just Nathaniel coming for dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, my sister's just had a baby, which is awesome. Um, and then, like, I love skiing. I love, like, being on the ocean. I uh, love hip-hop music. Um, yeah, I mean, I just... I really try to get as much out of life. I mean, even the, the personal development stuff, like, it's... It's I, a hobby. I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it does become addictive, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what's your three favourite books? Three favourite books? Top, top books. Yeah, okay, that's a really good question. Um, my three favourite books would have to be Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm. Um, uh, the One Thing by... Brian yes. Keller, is it? I do. Yeah, I read it just recently as well. I can't yeah. remember who wrote it. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. name of the author. I've recommended that one a few times. Do you know what? Um, what's that one by Mark Manson? Um, uh, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah. That was awesome. Was it good? Oh, yeah. The, the amount of times I've seen it, it sat in the number one spot for so long, and I've for some reason I just always flick past it and choose something else. I don't know. I don't know why. So I, don't give a f- I will read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like not everyone needs to read it. That's the thing, right? But yeah. a lot of us do spend time worrying about stuff that, like, to be honest, either we can't control or we don't really care about. It's like not one of our values. It's with something we've adopted from somebody else. Somebody else has told us it's important. Yeah. And that's. I think that's just a waste of energy. So it's like somebody else's worries that are going through your mind. Well, like, like I grow up, like my mum's, like my mum's values is like security and like, you know, financial stability and all this sort of stuff. And so I kept like going, oh, I need to save money, I need to save money, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do that. Until one day I realised, no, that's what she cares about. I care about adventure and risk and doing this. Like, and so when you realize that, you're, you become empowered. And like, you don't want to focus on stuff that you're not naturally interested in. Yeah. Because if I focus on that, I actually won't make any money. Whereas if I focus on the, like, the risk, adventure, the sales, and like uh, driving things forward, I'll make lots of money. Keeps the fire burning. <laughs> yeah. Keeps the fire burning. Nice, mate. So last but not least, where is your best place to eat in Perth? <laughs> Where can we find you chomping down at something nice? <laughs> uh, well, I live in the city, so like I'm always down at um like uh, I was at uh, Bangkok Brothers last night. Um, I like the Meat and Wine Co. Uh, but my favourite places are definitely like by the ocean. So like uh, Odyssey down at City Beach is awesome. Um, there's a few places uh, down at City Beach. We're so lucky in Perth. We the are, restaurants um, have opened in the last ten years are phenomenal. Yeah, we've got some of the beautiful, most beautiful beaches ever. ever. Uh, I was at the Key Hotel, was a good one recently. Um, the top floor there, they got awesome view of the river in South Perth. Yep. Uh, we're very lucky. Yeah, we are. Certainly are, mate. It's so picturesque and the weather's just that's, insane, isn't that's it? That's it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Nathan, thank you very much <laughs> for coming on. Thanks for having me. That was so much fun. No problem, mate. And uh, tune in next week for our next guest. And remember that every master was once a disaster and every winner was once a beginner.